processions around the building here tonight. And uh, thank you all for coming. And, uh, you know, the purpose of life groups is to be more successful in life, to obtain knowledge. And so uh, that's what we're here to do tonight. And we're going to be talking about prayer. And uh, before we get started... Brother Sharp has anyone that is involved in New Life Level 1 right now, uh, this will be credited for your class. You won't have to go to the, to the prayer class Sunday or Wednesday, which starts Sunday. And if, if uh, you are in Level 1 for prayer, come sign the attendance sheet and get you a pamphlet. And, uh, but we're going to talk about prayer tonight. How many of you, uh, you could say you love prayer? It's not always something that you love to do, but it's needful, amen? And so we're going to talk about that tonight. If you have your Bibles, if you got a pen and paper, take notes. I'm going to just talk about two things. Now, this is going to be a split session. I'm going to talk for the first half, whatever that might be, and my wife is going to speak on the second half. And so... Uh, I'm, we're going to discuss two things. I'm going to discuss why we don't pray and why we need to pray from a biblical perspective. And then my wife is going to talk about what to pray for, and she's got some handouts she's going to hand out at the end of the class. But Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, we're going to open with that. You know, the Bible says in Hosea that... Uh, his people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And that's what we've come to do is to receive knowledge of, of prayer. If you've been in this very long, if you've lived life very long, there's come a point in time that you've prayed. Whether you've needed to or not, there's been some catastrophe that's happened in life that you've said, oh God, there's been a sickness, someone's died, something, and you end up praying whether you go to church or not. You all of a sudden find God. And so Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, it says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And so uh, if you turn to Hebrews chapter 11, we're going we're gonna to come back to that opening text here. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Notice what it says. The elders re re uh, obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which do appear, which cracks the whole evolution theory. By faith, Abel, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. Notice what it says here. God testifying of his gifts, and by it being dead, he yet speaketh. He's now mentioned, even though he's not here, that he offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, and it was noted unto him for righteousness. By faith, Enoch was translated, he should not see death, 
and was not found because God translated him. He didn't die. God took him from the earth. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, we've talked about all these people that by their faith and by their obedience, they received a reward. And it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. He that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So when you seek after God, he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek after him. Belief is what our salvation hinges on. Belief is. We believe and we're obedient to the faith of the word of God right here. We're obedient to this word, and what happens? It brings us salvation, does it not? And so we find that we read Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. We find Enoch, he was translated, okay? Even set, verse 7, by faith Noah. What happened when Noah did? He was obedient to the word of God. God spoke to him and said, build an ark. It's going to rain. They never seen rain. But he was obedient to what God said, and therefore he was saved. We know the story. So when I repented of my sins, my sins were forgiven. I took action. I took action. I came to the altar or wherever it was that you found a place of repentance. You took the step. You physically took the step. And you said, God, forgive me of my sins. Now, how did that happen? I've made a physical move toward God, obedience to his word, and God forgive me of my sins. And usually there's an emotion with that. There's a feeling with that. You feel, oh, man, I feel clean. And thus it was with baptism. When baptized, we baptized two tonight. God didn't pick them up by the scruff of their neck and shove them in the water. They physically stepped down into the water. And by obedience to that, what happened? Their sins were washed away. I'm going to make a few points here. John 3.16, that's why we find in John 3.16, verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. For whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave. God moved. God embodied himself in flesh. Jesus died on the cross for our sins that I can have eternal life. And so for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn. Condemn means to judge, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth, notice what it says, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned, judged already, because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten son. When we believe God, God sustains us. We understand that when we believe God, we've all gathered here in, in, in church here tonight, we believe that Jesus is coming back for his people. Am I right? We believe that I'm going to have eternal life. I believe that my sins are washed away. I feel the lifting. I feel the weight lifted. I feel the guilt and the shame. I don't have to go to bed at night and live in guilt. And so we understand that uh, you know, when we believe, there's something that transpires with God. 
we find in James chapter 2 and verse 23. I'm going somewhere here with this. James 22, or James 2, 23. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness and he was called a friend of God. Ye see then that how, you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Imputed means to take an account of. It was accredited to him for righteousness. And so we find, we find that he was a friend of God because he believed God and it was accredited to him for righteousness. So we find here that we're, in the, we're all here, we're natural. I can see every one of you. I can hear everyone. We get the five senses. You can smell Somebody got too much perfume on, you can smell it. We got the natural state here, but there's, there's a spiritual state. So you've got your natural state here, you've got your spiritual state here. And what I talked to you, read these verses here before, what happened is they were obedient to God in the natural, and it affected the spiritual. It affected the spiritual in so much that it made their spiritual successful because Abraham was called a friend of God. It was accounted unto him, I'm using my terminology, it was accounted unto him as righteousness because he was obedient to God. So we find here when someone comes to the altar and they repent and they ask God, say, God, forgive me of my sins, the spiritual side of things, God forgives them of their sin. When somebody steps in the water, a spiritual thing takes place. Their sins are washed away. How is it that I can go and get in a baptismal tank of water that they just run in a hose right there and I can feel guilt and shame leave? Because when you act in the natural, you make your spiritual successful. And when your spiritual is successful, your natural is successful. You understand that. He was accounted unto him as righteousness because I receive eternal life. He was a friend of God. So when Noah and Abraham and these men of the Bible was obedient to the word of God, their spiritual realm becomes successful. And when the spiritual realm becomes successful, the natural becomes successful. Because now I have favor from God. Am I right? I have favor from God because I've been obedient to what the commandments of God. And so if, if you're going to be successful or make your spiritual successful, you've got to be obedient to the faith. You've got to be obedient to the word of God. And when your spiritual becomes successful, the natural becomes successful. Pastor has said so many times, I'm blessed more than I've ever been. I'm blessed more than, how is that possible? Because he made his spiritual successful. And there's many scriptures, we don't have time to, to go into it. But the flip side of this, the root of all sin is unbelief. The root of all sin is unbelief. And I'm going to share this with you. I want you to go, we're going to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put a man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, God, out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is, so God planted a garden, every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And, a, and we're going to skip down to verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress and keep it. So understanding, God formed a man 
of the dirt of the ground. God planted a garden. God put that man in the garden, okay? And verse 16, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Genesis chapter 3 and 1. Now the serpent, we know that's the, the devil, Satan, was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? He's asking a question. And we just, God had just explained to Adam, Thou shalt not eat of it, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, lest you, you shall surely die. Satan now is talking to Eve whatever the time frame might have been, and says, hath God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now he's questioning what God said. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die, for God doth know it in the day that you eat thereof. Then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be God's be as God's knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat and the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. We find here Satan, uh, I just picture him sitting on a branch of a tree, and he's telling, Eve, did God say you, you can't eat of every tree? Are you sure about that? And, and so she begins to expound on what God had said. And so Satan says, you know, and the serpent said unto the woman, well, you're not going to surely die. Don't you know that you're going to be as gods? And for time's sake, Satan put a seed of unbelief. She did not partake of the tree, of the fruit of the guard, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But Satan was saying, questioning what God said. Satan says, well, you shall not surely die. Well, you'll be as gods. And so we find that here then she says, well, it is one to make one wise. And it was good for fruit. And it tasted good. And so we find that why we don't pray is that Satan, you know, the Bible talks about Jesus healed the man that had, uh, he was blind and he, he, he healed him and touched him one time. He touched him twice actually, but touched him the one time. And he says, I see men walking around like trees. And the Bible all through the scripture is dotted with, you know, you should be like a tree planted by the rivers of living water. Satan sets, us, sets on the branches of our tree and whispers unbelief. It don't necessarily call sin. But it's, man, you're tired. You don't need to go to church tonight. Man, don't you know you're better than that? What, what do you think about that? You, you get what I'm saying? He puts all kinds of thoughts in our minds. And the reason we don't pray because the devil's good at making excuses. That's what happened to Eve. Eve didn't partake of the tree until the devil was putting unbelief in her heart. He was putting unbelief in her mind. And so we find that the spiritual was affected. He said, you're going to die. Now, she didn't die at that moment. When she partook of the fruit, what happened? It caused shame to come upon it. How is it that she can eat of a fruit and she's all of a sudden realized she's naked? 
It's because what she did in the natural affected the spiritual. What she did, so that's why it's imperative that you have to pray because when you pray in the natural, it affects the spiritual. If you want your loved ones to be saved, if you want your anything to happen and ask God to command his hand, the Bible says. You've got to understand, you've got to put the thoughts, the, the, the seeds that the, Satan wants to put in our mind. And so we've got to be effective in praying. Amen. This is what we're talking about. But I want to go to Genesis 3.15. I've got five minutes. But before my wife takes the, she's going to preach to you, okay? Um, not really. She's going to kill me for saying that. I said, I got the mic first. I can say whatever I want, right? Uh, so we find here that Genesis 3 and 15, it says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head and, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Understanding, we understand that that talks about Jesus Christ and he was bruised for our iniquity. We understand that he took de- keys to death, hell, and the grave. But I want to pull something more out of the scripture. It says, I will put enmity. Enmity means hatred. I will put hatred between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. Romans 4 says this in verse 16. Therefore, it is a faith that it might be by grace to the end of this promise, might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I've made thee a father of many, many nations. James 1 and verse 15 says this, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. When the Bible says that I will put enmity, God cursed Satan. He says, I'm going to put enmity between her seed and your seed. I'm going to put hatred between your seed. Understanding I am of the seed of Abraham. Now, we preach that Jesus Christ, he and it goes down through that, and he is the seed. But I am the seed of Abraham by faith. I am the seed of Abraham by faith. And if you go to the book of Revelation, if you go to the book of Revelation, in verse tw- chapter 12 and verse 17, and the dragon was wroth with the woman and went, went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which kept the commandments of God and had the testimony of Jesus Christ. If you want to understand why you need to pray, it's because God put enmity. He put hatred for anything that is a seed that obey the commandments of God. I have become the seed by Abraham by faith. I'm not a Jew. And so we're giving you a short rendition here. But understanding that Satan is out to steal, kill, and destroy. You can't listen to the first part of this. He's sitting on the, on the, on the branch of your tree saying, you've got all kinds of you don't need to do that. You don't need, he's got 50,000 excuses why we don't need to do and be obedient to them. Because if he can cause unbelief, what happens? What happened with Eve? She sinned, right? That's why there's people in the church that, that came to church, got the Holy Ghost, and they was here for a little bit of time and left. They backslid because of unbelief. And then sin, and I read in the scriptures, when lust is conceived, I don't know if I read it or not, when, when lust is conceived, 
It bringeth forth death. Lust means to something that's forbidden. Something that's forbidden. When I desire something that is forbidden, that's what happened with Eve. And so what happens is Satan will sit on the branch of my tree and whisper all kinds of unbelief to see if I'll react to it, see if I'll bite into it. Because he's out to make war with you. You are the seed of Abraham. You are the seed of Abraham by faith. You have promises, and Satan knows that. And so I encourage everyone to you. Come on, huh? I encourage everyone, one of you, you've got to pray, you've got to pray, you've got to pray, because that's what's going to keep, keep the, the enemy away. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. It's the pulling down of strongholds. When you pray, you're pulling down strongholds of unbelief. It said, let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. When we take on the mind of Christ, it says, resist the devil. That's why he gives us the power of the Holy Ghost. Because when I have the power of the Holy Ghost, I can resist the devil and he will flee. That's why he hates us so much. Because I can cast out devils. I can lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And so, pray. Pray if I implore you. In this last days, pray. Because the devil is a roaring lion is out to try to take you out. Amen. powerful, isn't it? Changes us. Thankful for that. I'm thankful that Pastor entrusts us to um, speak tonight. He obviously is very much the preacher and I am the teacher, so um, I'm not going to get excited and run down the aisle and stuff like he does. So, um, But I have a word from God and would do my best to deliver it tonight. Um, and my prayer is that um, a spirit of prayer will, sa- will saturate us before we leave here, um, I've been asked to speak on specific topics tonight concerning prayer, and uh, obviously since we shared time here, I feel like I'm going to have to speed talk a little bit um, to cover it all, but we're going to cover, he covered why should we pray, and I'm going to cover when to pray, what to pray, and how to pray. So I've always heard that if God says something that uh, we should take note, we should listen, And if God says something twice or more than once, we better give it our undivided attention. So when I was studying this out, um, the word prayer or praying or prayed or praise, any word with the root word, um, the base word of prayer, is mentioned 375 times in the Bible. And I thought if God allowed that to be in there that many times, I think it's imperative that we take heed. Um, So the first thing I'm going to talk about tonight is when to pray. So we know that prayer is not a one-and-done act. It's it's a continuous, it's something that we have to continually do. Um, I feel like our lives should be a consistent trail of prayers. Um, A trail is leaving a mark, a visible impression that somebody can follow. So we know that a trail isn't made through the woods or through the backyard by walking one or two times. 
um, it's consistent. It's day after day, and it's week after week, and it's month after month, and it's year after year. And um, that's what it takes to make a trail, and it's the same way with prayer. Um, something to think about, I thought, if our trail, if our prayer trail was visible, what would it look like? Would it have weeds on it? Would it be a well-worn path? What would our prayer trail look like tonight? Um, it's a constant walk that we have to take every day. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and 7, the Bible says to pray without ceasing. In Psalms 5 and 3, which is one of my most favorite scriptures, it says, My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord, in the morning I will direct my prayer unto thee and look up. Everyone say, in the morning. In Mark 135, we're talking about Jesus here, um, says, And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Again, everybody say, a great while before day. So if we're striving to be Christ-like and to take on his nature, and Jesus got up a great while before day. Remember, if Jesus was in the flesh, he felt things just like we feel, right? I'm sure his body got tired. But if he got up a great while before day to pray, isn't that something that we should be following his example? Um, and it doesn't matter what time we have to wake up. Waking up is hard to do for most of us. So I know what you're thinking. I already get up early in the morning to start my day. I cannot get up any earlier to pray. That's out. I cannot do that. So if I were to ask in here, I can prove that you can get up earlier to pray, okay? So if I were to ask in here, who all gets up at 4 o'clock in the morning to start their day? Some of you would raise your hands. My husband, and I see a few hands back there. You get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and start your day. Is it hard to get up? The answer is yes. Um, so then I could change it and say, okay, so who gets up at 5 in the morning? Who has to wake up at 5 in the morning to start their day? Several people, I would be in that group, is waking up at 5 o'clock in the morning hard to do? The answer is yes. Yeah. So I could say, how about 6 o'clock? If you get up at 6 o'clock, hard to get up at 6 o'clock? Yeah, the alarm goes off. Who wants to get up at 6? If you get up at 7, I think you should get up singing and dancing at 7 o'clock. My goodness, that's three hours you get got to sleep in compared to some people. But getting up at 7 is just as hard as getting up at all those other times, right? I could do the same thing. Who gets up at 8? Is it hard to get up at 8? Yes, it's hard to get up at 8. So um, <clears throat> I'm going to say, you might say, well, I'm just not a morning person, and that's hard. Well, we have the solution for that tonight. Science says that changing our biological sleep rhythm is as easy as adjusting our bedtimes. So if you go to bed earlier, it's easier to get up earlier. And I thought, boy, that's a great revelation, you know, <laughs> of course. Um, but, you know, I was reading and it said, so if you go to bed a half an hour earlier every night and you do that for a month and you get up for a half an hour earlier, your body starts adjusting to that. So it becomes automatic. And then maybe in a few more months, you go to bed a half an hour even earlier, set your alarm a half an hour earlier, and then that becomes natural to you. I'm a 5 o'clocker, so even on the weekend sometimes, you know, it's 5.30 and I'm wide awake, didn't have to get up, but my biological um, sleep rhythm has adjusted to that. So 
Um, if you say that I cannot get up in the morning any earlier to pray, science says, yes, you can. So um, obviously I can't talk about this and not mention morning prayer at the church because it is so powerful. And I know that everybody is not able to come to the church in the mornings for prayer because of the commute, the distance, the time, or, you know, whatever the factor is. Um, and that's okay. But you still have to make time in the mornings. You have to put it in your schedule um, to pray. It's the most important thing you're going to do all day long. So don't skip it. Don't let the enemy cheat you out of that prayer time. And I thought, whoever came up with the slogan, the best part of waking up is Folgers in your cup, has never been to the anchor church for morning prayer because they would not have said that. So we find that morning prayer is very biblical, and so when else should we pray? In Acts 3, John and Peter were going to the temple to pray at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So these are the disciples that were hand-selected by God praying in the middle of the afternoon. Cornelius was praying in the afternoon. The Bible says in Acts 10 and 30, Behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard. So again, that tells me that if you're a, an afternoon prayer, that God is hearing your prayers as well. Matthew 14, 23 tells us that Jesus prayed in the evening. Um, so the Bible gives us examples of morning prayer, afternoon prayer, evening prayer. So people say, well, when's the right time to pray? Anytime. Anytime's the right time to pray. Um, according to scripture, we can pray morning, afternoon, or night. God always hears our prayers. Um, but there's nothing more meaningful than to have morning prayer. Um, it's kind of hard to ask God to direct your steps for the day if it's 9 o'clock at night and you're getting ready to go to bed. Um, you know, it's kind of hard to say, God put a hungry soul in my path today. If it's 10 o'clock and you're getting ready to go to bed, you're probably not going to have that opportunity to witness somebody. So morning prayer is essential. Um, Luke 18.1, men ought always to pray. And Ephesians 6 and 18 says, praying always. Now, obviously, none of us can spend all of our day on our knees praying all day long. But the objective here is to have a dedicated time that we spend with God. And I know some people say, why well, do my best praying in the morning? Some people say, why well, do my best praying in the evening? Scripture commands us to pray. So the point is that every family needs to have a prayer time, and that's what's key. So that's what's going to pave your prayer trail, folks. Um, we're going to talk about some things that can hinder our prayers. A busy mind. Um, sometimes we get down and try to pray. And how many of you have got down to pray before? And a thousand things has popped into your mind. Oh, I got to go do that right now. I've got to do that right now. I forgot. And if I don't do that now, I'll forget. And you'll go to pray again. Same thing will happen. So a busy mind. And sometimes just plain busyness hinders our prayers. Um, our society. We're a busy, run, run, run society. And it, sometimes it's hard to just slow down and take the time to get alone with God. Uh, lack of time management lack of priorities, carnality, and tricks of the enemy. And I say this every time I speak on prayer, you will never find time to pray. You have to make time to pray. Um, pastor says that prayer is the only thing that defeats the devil. So you want to know why he hinders our prayers? Because when we pray, it leaves him powerless. So um, Pastor Nehemiah says, if you're not praying, there's a thief in your house. 
there's a time thief or a whatever the thief is that's stealing your prayer time. So we want to make sure that we have a consistent prayer life. The next topic that I'm going to talk about is what to pray. So I've listed 12 things that I personally, um, that I'll share with you that I personally pray about. And you have those 12 things in front of you. And since I feel like I have to speed talk through this, um, I knew I wouldn't have time to elaborate on every one. So what I did do is make a detailed list of how I pray for each of these areas. And I have handouts. Um, so if you would like one of those, there's a packet here. You're more than welcome to pick one up because it's a pretty thick packet. It's, I went into detail how I pray for each one of those categories. And like I said, God gives us all different passions. We all have different walks of life, and you might feel led to pray for other things in your world, in your life, um, that I don't think of to pray for. But this is just a snapshot of my personal prayer life. They asked me to give you a guide. Said some people don't know how to pray intentional, focused prayers. Could you give them something? Um, of course, I don't have time to cover all that, so for time's sake, there's a handout if you would like it. If I run out, I can make more copies, um, but you're welcome to pick that up. Um, some people say, I don't know how you pray a whole hour. When you see that list, you couldn't cover that list in an hour. Now, I don't pray that entire list every single day. I pray whatever God burdens my heart with for the day. Um, Fridays is my family prayer day. I pray specifically for my families. That's what I pray on Fridays. Um, I mean, obviously, I pray for my family every day, but Fridays, I push everything else out and I just focus on my family. So um, you're welcome to pick that handout up if you would like that. And the last of the topics that I would like to talk about is how to pray. Prayer is not a, hi, God, my name is Jimmy, gimme, gimme, gimme. That's... That is not how we pray. The first thing we need to pray for is God's will. And I know people say, well, I don't know what God's will is for my life. Well, that's how you find it is through prayer. Um, the next handout that I have is a prayer wheel here. And I, this is just a tool that I found when I started praying many, many years ago. Like, I don't know how to pray. How do I start? You know, and the Bible, there's, it's specific. The Bible says to come into his presence with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. So this is a prayer wheel. If you spent five minutes in each one of these categories, you pray for one hour. It starts in praise. It ends in praise. So I just found that for a great tool. I've always kept that near and dear. And um, so I thought, thought that might be a, um, something that somebody could use tonight. So the next thing um, I wanted to talk about, and it kind of goes hand in hand with what my husband talked about. And um, it's understanding that prayer is a physical act that brings spiritual release. So what happens in the unseen world or the spiritual world that he talked about? We're here in the natural, in the physical, and up here is the spiritual world. So Moses and the Israelites, when they were fighting the Amalekites, God commanded Moses to um, go up on the mountain and raise his hands. And as long as Moses' hands were raised, which was a physical act that he did, um, that God told him to do, that he did in obedience, the Israelites would win the war. They were winning the war. When Moses' hands would go down, what would happen? They would lose the war. So simple physical obedience, what we do with our body, brings spiritual victory. So if you think about, and, and some of this stuff is redundant with what my husband said, and we, he did his own thing and I did mine, and I said, well, it'll mesh all together. Um, so I thought about sickness and addictions and salvation 
what can we do in the physical realm to fix those things? So if you have a family member that has an addiction, can you just walk over and take whatever the thing away and say, there, I took your addiction away. You don't have it anymore. It doesn't work like that. If we have a backslider, somebody who needs saved, we can't just go and say, oh, here's your salvation. We can't do that in the physical realm. So those things have to be fought spiritually. And in order to have victory in the spiritual realm, we have to be obedient to God in the physical realm. And God very much commands us to pray, which is a physical act. So getting out of bed early every morning is very much a physical act, but it has a great impact on the spiritual realm. So prayer is an act of obedience, and it's physical action that is required by God. And when we obey, God releases spiritual favor and blessings and deliverance and healings and miracles. Um, I just want to share a story with you. Um, it's a story about a lady named Rebecca. She uh, taught a professional development um, seminar that I went to last year in March. It was the most impactful seminar that I'd ever been to in my life. It was called Trauma-Informed Classrooms, and it taught teachers how to deal with children who have experienced trauma in their life. And um, I wish I had time to tell her whole story, her whole testimony. It was the most powerful thing. There was probably a hundred or more professionals in this room with master's degrees and doctorate degrees, and um, she got up and told her testimony. And I, I someday maybe I'll be able to share that with you, but I'm just going to give you a snippet of it tonight. She was talking about um, being raised in poverty and, and the things that happened to her throughout her life. So now she's in her 30s. Um, she's been trying to go to college. She dropped out of school at 16, um, went back and got her GED trying to go to college. She has three children, three different fathers. She's not married. She lives in poverty. Um, and she's an alcoholic. She's trying to go to college. She's her, her whole life. She says, "I'm getting out of poverty. I'm getting out of poverty. I'm not going to stay. I'm not going to live my life like I did when I was a child. My kids are not going to live their life like I did as a child, but they are." And so she says, "I was an alcoholic, and I drank a fifth, a half of a fifth of whiskey every single day for years." She said, "I did it for years and years and years. I was an alcoholic." She said, I didn't want to be an alcoholic. I didn't want to live like that. I didn't, want, I didn't want somebody to come and take my children away. And she said, my grandmother left a very um, strong faith in me. I can remember my grandmother being a Christian, and, and she would say, you know, Rebecca, you've got to pray. And, and she said, in October of 2006, she said, I started getting down on my hands and knees in my bedroom every single day she said for 365 days a year I did this and she said I would cry and I'd say God I don't want to be an alcoholic I don't want to drink tomorrow when I wake up I don't want somebody to come and take my children I want to be a good mom she said I never took my children out in public never to Walmart never to McDonald's she said they were off the hook they climbed the walls she said I didn't know how to be a good mom and she said my prayer was for God to someday deliver me from this addiction that I had and to teach me how to be a good mom. And she said, I prayed that prayer for many years. 
She said, I got down on all four, hands and knees, no matter how drunk I'd be drunk out of my mind, but I never missed a night. She said, you know, there's something about being in that physical position that I knew was going to bring me deliverance at some point. This is not an apostolic lady who doesn't know truth, but she's in front of this room of professionals at a professional development telling her testimony. And, of course, I understood it because I understood the whole, the power in prayer and the, the obedience of, you know, in the physical realm and how it affects the spiritual realm. And she said, I'll never forget, as faithful as I was for all these years, it was January 4th, 2011, she said, I woke up, and she said something was different. She said, and I got out of my bed, and something was different. And she said, I did not have that desire to drink anymore. She said, all those years, all those nights of being on my hands and knees, on the floor, in my bedroom, drunk out of my mind, begging God to deliver me because I didn't want to be an alcoholic. I didn't want to live that life. I didn't want somebody to take my children. I wanted to be a good mom. I didn't know how. And she, in, in the middle of all that story, she talked about a church that she would go to for a diaper ministry, Sister Brown. It was so powerful, a diaper ministry. And that is what started turning her life around. And so she talked about how hard it was sometimes and how she felt like, is God even hearing me? She said, but I never missed. She said there was something about that physical position and night after night and day after day for 365 days a year, you found me on the floor in my bedroom. Didn't matter if it was 9 o'clock at night or 3 o'clock in the morning. I was on all four begging God for deliverance from this addiction. And she said, and that's exactly what it was that delivered me. And now she goes around the world teaching teachers how to deal with trauma-informed students. I was so intrigued and drawn by her presentation and her simulation that we did on poverty that I um, got in contact with her afterwards, and I said, um, how much do you charge? We have to have you come to our church and teach this to our leaders. We have to have an understanding of this to see the change in this woman's life and to know that we could impact people in that way. Of course, she's several thousands of dollars. She's a professional. She's she won it all over the place. But I look at where God has brought her from, and it's simply because her physical act of obedience and what it did in the spiritual realm for her. Music, you can get ready to come. Prayer is not always easy, but I pray anyways. Prayer is sometimes mundane, but I pray anyways. Some mornings my words just flow, and some mornings I struggle to find words, but I pray anyways. Some days I feel like I'm shaking the very foundations of heaven, and some days I wonder if God is even listening to me but I pray anyways. Some mornings prayer comes easy, and some mornings I don't feel like praying, but I pray anyways. Some days God is so powerful, and some days I don't feel him at all when I come in here, but I pray anyways. Some days the power of God is so strong that I don't want to stop praying and, get, and go to work. And some days I find it hard to get into his presence, and I pray anyways. 
Some days I weep from the moment I walk in that door. And some days I don't feel God. I don't feel anything, but I pray anyways. Some days my heart is so heavy for others. And some days I'm not even sure what to pray about, but I pray anyways. Some days my heart is burdened and it's heavy. And some days I just feel empty, but I pray anyways. Some days I feel overwhelmed with joy and I have a heart of thanksgiving flows from me. And other days I just feel overwhelmed and I pray anyways. There's a huge spiritual war going on and you and I are the voters. We get to vote who wins. So if we're willing to demonstrate physical obedience to what God commands us to do, we get to vote for victory in our lives, our families, our church, our city, our world. So what's your vote going to be? You're all going to cast a vote. In the morning, every one of us are going to cast a vote. We're going to cast a vote. We're going to lay in bed, and that'll be our vote. Devil, you can go ahead and have control one more day in my family. Or we can get up out of bed maybe half an hour early, 15 minutes early, whatever your time frame allows you or that you're willing to do, and you're going to cast your vote that way. And you're going to say, not today, devil. We're going to war. So if you're willing to blaze a trail for your family, your city, your church, you're ready to make a covenant, a promise to God that you'll start from this day forward until the last day that you breathe your breath, that it's your time to be called home. You'll get up early and seek him and you're willing to cast a vote and do something in the spiritual or in the physical realm that's going to impact our world tremendously, then I would like to invite you all to come and pray. Find a place to pray in your seats. But you all get to cast a vote tomorrow and the day after and the day after and the day after. And every day that you're here, you get to cast a vote and you have the ability to make an impact on your world.